Welcome to everybody. I've, I've lost track of um, where we all are geographically, but I'm sure we're, we're all still very spread out. And uh, it's, it's lovely to have you all with us this morning at our service. Um, I know that there's a lot going on. A lot of people are, are very anxious about all sorts of things. People are, are suffering from anxiety, bereavement, loss. But I, I do trust that, that we, we all know that we have a God who is in control, no matter what it might seem like, and who loves each one of us. And it, he's a God who deserves our praise. You may not feel like praising this morning, I don't know, but our God does deserve our praise. And so we're, we're going to, to sing now. Um, Steve's going to lead us through a couple of songs. So I'll hand over to you now, Steve. Morning, everyone. Give me a quick wave. You're all here. Yay! Lovely to see you all. Um, so it's, it's been a couple of weeks, um, and so looking forward to, to just sharing worship with you this morning. Um, we're going to start off by singing, Come People of the Risen King, who delight to bring him praise. Enjoy. Young and old 
So we started our Zoom journey many weeks ago um, and there was a song that we presented on YouTube from Graham Kendrick called Holy Overshadowing and that song's just been going through my mind for the last couple of weeks and um, wanted to, to share it again but this time for us all to sing it and so I'm just going to play through the verse um, and the chorus separately for us to kind of learn it and then we'll all sing it together. Spread your wings of mercy over me And guard my heart with true humility No shadow of the darkness pressing in Only the holy overshadowing Underneath your wings Overshadowing And now we'll move on to the chorus You are my shield And my glory You are the lifter of my head and though the storms may rage around me I'll be safe within Beneath the holy overshadowing So let's just raise our hands in worship to our God and Father as we sing together. 
Oh, spread your wings of mercy over me And guard my heart with true humility No shadow of the darkness pressing in Only the holy overshadowing Underneath your wings Overshadowing No refuge will I seek but God alone No hiding place save only at your throne Only the cross, the blood to wash my sin only the holy overshadowing underneath your wings overshadowing you are my shield and my glory you are the storms may rage around me I'll be safe within beneath the holy overshadowing no burden on my back too hard to bury only the easy load you bid me wear Until these troubles pass my heart will sing Praise for the holy overshadowing Underneath your wings Overshadowing You are my shield Safe within 
overshadowing underneath your wings overshadowing overshadowing underneath your wings overshadowing overshadowing thank you steve psalm 17 says i call on you god for you will answer me give ear to me and hear my prayer show the wonder of your great love you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. And as I said at the beginning, I know there's a lot going on. Um, I know people are anxious, perhaps about jobs or income or homes. Um, I know people have suffered bereavement. And um, yeah, I just want to say at this point that I know uh, many of you from Heathervale will already know um, but sadly, uh, a few days ago, David Edwards, um, Helen Lancashire's father, passed away. And I know our, our thoughts and our prayers are with Helen and Isaac and Wendy and, and the wider family. And of course, in the news, well, I have to say at this point, I've actually pretty much given up watching the news. Um, and so um, some of the things that have happened will perhaps be fresher in your mind than, than they are in mine, but um, you can't fail to have heard, I don't think, um, about the, the murder of, of George Floyd in America and everything that's been going on since then. And I know that's a difficult situation. I know Martin's going to refer to it a, a little bit later. I suppose really I haven't... Um, I haven't worked out exactly what my individual response should be to this. Maybe you have, um, but there's a lot to think about. Uh, we are called to not just say that we oppose racism, but actually to, to act. We're told to act justly. And it is very complicated um, in terms of perhaps the response in, in this nation. But it is a fact that white people have been have been privileged. Um, it is a fact that in this country we had uh, there was a huge contribution towards the, the slave trade. And yes, we can say I, I wasn't alive then, but there's there's a good precedence in the Bible for repenting of of sins that one's people committed, even if uh, we weren't directly involved. I, I don't know what your response is. Um, if you want to read more on the internet, uh, the Baptist Union has got resources, so the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity and, and others. But yeah, we are, we are called upon to, to act justly. I think on all sides, there has to be a time of re reflection, repentance, forgiveness, love, prayer. And yet, with all this going on, um, I just felt it was right to have a time of prayer, of thanksgiving to God 
for all that he has done and, and is doing, I think it's, it's both helpful and right to focus on the blessings that, that we have received. And so I'm, I'm going to start off the time of prayer and then perhaps if one or two could just mute your mic, uh, unmute your mics and um, offer up some prayers of, of thanks for, for blessings that we, we have received. And then I'll close in prayer at the end. Father God, we thank you for the realities that we've sung about and that we've read, that you love us, you overshadow us with your wings, that you are there for us. We sang, Lord, in that first song about those who are experiencing joy, those who are mourning, those who have won battles and, and those who who are still struggling, but through all of them, we know that you are faithful. We know that your love for us is perfect and that we do have things to be thankful for. Lord, I'd just like to thank you for the fact that I have a garden that I can go out into. Thank you for the joy of, of seeing your creation, of hearing the birds, watching the, the fledglings um, appear and uh, come around in the garden. And Lord, I would like to give you thanks for the life of David Edward. He was a wonderful man of God. Thank you for his witness in so many different ways over the years in, in so many places. I know that most of us only came to, to know us later on, to know him later on in his life. But we thank you for the preaching that he did, for his work with um, the hospital radio. And we ask, Lord, that um, you would... Bless his family. Bless Helen and Isaac and Wendy and, and the wider family. But we thank you for his life and his example. And now perhaps one or two people would like to, to add some prayers of thanksgiving. Dear Lord, I do thank you indeed for your love and your generosity and your kindness. And I particularly thank you this morning for your care and love of my mum in hospital right now. I know that she feels your love. She tangibly knows that you are with her and protecting her. And I thank you, Lord, for all the people that are praying for her right now and have been for the last few days. You are a loving and giving God and we thank you for all that you do in each of our lives day by day. For these and all thy mercies, Lord, we thank you. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for the, for the joy that uh, 
we can come together as the family of God from different churches uh, around this nation and uh, even even further afield in France and Gibraltar and Lord, it's just it's just such a joy to to gather with uh, with people uh, near and far to worship you, Lord. It's a reminder that your church is uh, is worldwide, is global, and that we belong to a worldwide movement. And Lord, I just thank you for everybody uh, here this morning. Uh, everyone, a reminder that we are the family of God together, from whatever background, whatever place, whatever church whatever tradition, Lord, we are your family. And I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together, Lord, and for the joy that we have. Um, Lord, it's, it's, it's as if we're kind of foreshadowing the heaven here where one day we'll be worshipping from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group on earth. We will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so, Lord, we thank you for the technology that we have for the fact that we can come together like this and worship you together. Thank you, Lord. Amen. pray for this government these times of troubles that we have we pray for wisdom and uh, guidance that they could sort out the, the problems with this coronavirus the, the way forward safe safety measures which they need to take uh, we pray for their progressive talks in the brexit process that people may have christian values that uh, make the decisions according to the way that uh, the Lord would like. We leave this hand in your hands, Lord, and uh, we, we ask for these things in your name. Amen. Father, I pray for the situation you. with... Uh... <clears throat> go on, Leslie. Right, you go on. Father, I pray for the situation with, uh, surrounding uh, George Floyd. Um, I just feel uh, the need to <coughs> reflect, though, Father. It's easy. We, we saw the, the shocking uh, images on, uh, on the news of the man uh, being killed and the horror and that this prejudice, this, this racial prejudice, uh, demonstrates in, in society. And yet our Christian faith, Father, starts with self-reflection and repentance of ourselves, not uh, judgment over an unjust world. And so maybe, Father, instead of looking at judging other people and other situations and other nations, we need to just reflect a little bit on ourself, Father, at this point in time, on our own prejudices. Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And he said it very clearly to, to cause us to reflect 
on our own guilt before we start to judge situations in others. And so I pray, Father, that uh, you will help us to reflect on our, our own prejudices, wherever they may be, to repent from them, to see the world and the people in it through your eyes, and to love as you love them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you created the world so that there is a day and there is a night. And every morning we wake up to a new morning. Father, sometimes the darkness seems to last during the day as well. But Father, we thank you that each day is a new day, a new beginning with you. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for our families and our friends. We thank you for the rain yesterday and the sunshine this morning. And Father God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus and for the gift of your spirit who comforts and helps us in all that we do in your service. In Jesus' name, Amen. Lord, we bring all these prayers to you and the ones that uh, we've said to you in our hearts, unspoken. We thank you, Lord. Amen. And now we're going to hear um, from Mark again, uh, another of his wonderful talks for all of us of any age. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to look at the story of a guy called Abraham. We're going to see how God called him, and how he obeyed God's call. Abram and his brothers, Nahor and Haran, were born in a place called Ur, which is now part of southern Iraq. All the brothers got married and had children, except Abram. Sarai, Abram's wife, was not able to have children, and this made Abram and Sarai very sad. While they were living in Ur, sadly, Haran died, so Terah, Abram's dad, decided it was time to move on. He took Abram and Sarah and Abram's nephew, Lot, Haran's son, with him. They moved to a place that was also called Haran, the same name as Abram's brother. Haran is in what we now know as Turkey. Abram was very successful in Haran and amassed quite a lot of wealth and livestock. He lived there until he was 75, until one day God spoke to Abram. He told him to leave his family and his country, to leave his father and to go to a far off land that the Lord would show him. God promised Abram that he would make him famous and make him the father of a great nation and that everyone on earth would be blessed through him. This surprised Abram a lot, as he was already 75, and Sarah was already 65, and they could not have children together. But Abram trusted God and did what he said. He packed all his stuff, all his money, got all the people who lived with him and worked for him together, along with the animals and they left his family, his father, and his homeland. But he did take 
his nephew Lot with him. They travelled a long way. Eventually they came to the land of Canaan. They continued to, through Canaan until they came to a place called Shechem, where they settled and set up camp. Not surprisingly, the land was inhabited by Canaanites, so Abraham and his household did not build any houses. They didn't build a big town, but they continued to live in tents. This was because there were foreigners in the land. They were only there because God told Abram to go there, and they were living there because of Abram's faith in God. Once they were settled, God once again spoke to Abram and repeated his promise. God told him that this was the land that his descendants would inherit. But you see, the land had not been given to Abraham yet. It was for his descendants, not for him. And their inheritance was in God's time. But Abraham and Sarah still had no kids. Sarah and Abraham continued to believe in and trust in God. And because of their faith, when God chose, Sarah had a baby. She was 90 years old and Abram was 100. They could not have had a baby without God's help. They called their son Isaac. And in time, Isaac had a son who he called Jacob. They continued to live in Canaan and continued to live in tents because they were still living as aliens in the land. This land still had not been given to them yet. They understood that they were foreigners, but by faith they were looking forward to the time that God would fulfill his promises. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who would later be called Israel, had 12 sons, and these 12 sons would be the 12 tribes of Israel. We probably all know the story of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, and his dreams, and how, after being sold into slavery in Egypt, God raised him up and put him in charge of all of Egypt, and how he brought his family, all his brothers, their wives, his mum and dad, and everyone in the household to Egypt to escape from famine. And over the past few weeks, we've seen how after a few hundred years, God multiplied the Israelites while they were in Egypt, and how God rescued them and led them to the promised land. And so, a whole nation came from this one man, who was as good as dead, as the Bible says, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. And that promise still holds good for us today. Through Jesus, we have become part of that promise to bless the whole earth and the promise that God will give us a land to call our own. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob did not live to see God give their descendants their homeland, but they trusted and looked forward to the time that this would happen. Just as we look forward to the time when we, when we will inherit 
our heavenly homeland. But until that day, we live by faith as foreigners on this earth. Thank you. Thank you again, Mark. That was brilliant. Well, I don't know about you, but I think if I had been Abram and Sarah, I would have found it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to believe that any of these things would happen. But of course, they did believe because they trusted God. They had faith in him. And uh, we're, we're going to sing now um, about that faith. Faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Small as mustard seed, move mountains, move mountains. Faith as small as mustard seed, move mountains by the power of God. Faith as small as mustard seed, move mountains, move mountains. Faith as small as mustard seed, move mountains by the power of God. Believe what Jesus said was true. Believe He meant it just for you. Wait and see what God will do as you pray, as you pray. Faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains, move mountains. Faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains by the power of God. Faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains, move mountains. Small as a mustard seed will move mountains by the power of God. Believe what Jesus said was true. Believe He meant it just for you. Wait and see what God will do as you pray. As you pray. Faith that small as a mustard seed will move mountains, move mountains. Faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains by the power of God. Thank you. Um, we have a very short reading today, just two verses, and George is going to read it for us this morning. So the reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for this technology that enable, enables us to be able to hear from, from Martin this morning. We ask that you would anoint him and bless him, that we might hear from you this morning. Amen. Over to you, Martin. Thank you, Alison. And thank you to Steve for leading us so well in our, uh, in our singing. Great stuff. Um, I just commend to you um, some resources on the uh, Baptist Union website. Um, there's lots of uh, prayers and reflections and articles there, just 
helping us to think through our response to the horror of what we've seen in the, uh, the George Floyd case in the news this week. So do have a look around there and uh, some really helpful resources to help us think uh, and reflect as Christians. Um, but there was there's one statement on there, which I think was particularly helpful from uh, Lynn Green, the um, Baptist Union General Secretary. If you don't mind, I'd like to, to read this out. Um, she writes, the inhumane and merciless brutality demonstrated towards George, George Floyd last week was a, an appalling act of injustice and reveals yet again the ugly reality of deeply ingrained institutional racism. The authentic response of a people who follow a God who delights in justice and righteousness is to stand together in solidarity and protest in the face of such insidious evil. The death of George Floyd must also drive us to some serious heart searching of our own. The spot, spotlight is not simply shining on them over there, but also on us here in our own context. Baptists together hold a common value, that we are a movement which shares a hunger for God's coming kingdom and seeks to confront evil, injustice and hypocrisy and challenges worldly attitudes to power, wealth, status and security, both within and beyond our union. Right now, God is presenting us with the opportunity to grow more deeply into this value and in doing so, to unleash a prophetic call and presence in our communities and nations. Amen to that. The values of seeking to confront evil, injustice and hypocrisy, prejudice, racism, are ones that Christians share with wider society. But it's worth stating that the call to treat all people justly and equally comes out of the Bible's teaching that all people are created in the image of God and therefore equal and equally loved in the sight of God. The values that Christians hold about equality and human rights, regardless of race, colour, ethnicity, come directly from biblical teaching that has been absorbed into our society's laws and values. And as Christians, we need to stand up together with others in solidarity with others for justice and against this evil. You all know, though, as well as I do, that despite there being many values that our culture has um, absorbed from Christian teaching, there are also many parts of our Christian teaching that are not so um, so well accepted by, by our society. In fact, there are many teachings from the Christian faith that are opposed by, by our society. And in fact, this is becoming increasingly the case. So whilst we would want to share our horror at the injustice and evil of, of racism with, with the wider culture, there will be some huge points of divergence with our culture too. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to live faithfully as a Christian in our nation. It feels more and more that we are resident aliens in this world. Our culture seems to misunderstand us more and more and to malign us and mock us more and more. And it's in this context of a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile to our faith, 
that 1 Peter has so much to say to us in our times. Peter wrote to Christians scattered throughout modern-day Turkey who experience sporadic mistreatment and abuse, ridicule, shame, simply because they identified with Jesus. As a, as a new religious movement, Christians threaten the very fabric of society. Um, they refuse to worship Caesar as their God. Remember that uh, churches there would have still been under Roman rule at the time. They worship not Caesar as king, but Jesus Christ, the king who was crucified on a cross, and then, according to Christians, rose from the dead. And this was in a Roman culture where power and wealth and status were so uh, much the thing. To have a crucified Messiah, crucified and killed as a common criminal, was an object of ridicule and shame, and a threat, quite frankly, to Caesar's rule. So to stand up for being a Christian in that culture was a radical thing to do, and inevitably meant hostility. And likewise today, Christian teaching will bring us into conflict with our increasingly secular society. Um, let me take the whole area of freedom of speech, if I may, in our society. We actually have excellent laws on free speech that protect our freedom to disagree with others in our nation. However, in recent years, a progressive consensus has formed on issues like the sanctity of life, sexuality and the family. And alongside this has come a growing intolerance of those who would dissent from this liberal secular view. Disagreeing with someone is often seen these days as attacking their identity and is labelled as hatred. Our culture encourages, encourages us to think it's profoundly wrong or even illegal to openly disagree on certain ethical matters. So you may see from time to time on the news um, Christians being taken to task on their views on the family or on sexual identity. Let me give you an example of, of this uh, clash or, or hostility towards Christian values, if I may, from the Christian Institute. Um, Cornerstone is an independent Christian fostering and post-adoption support agency based in the northeast of England. It recruits evangelical Christian foster carers to provide loving and stable homes for children with complex needs. Ofsted don't just inspect schools, but they also regulate and inspect fostering agencies. And back in 2015, Cornerstone were rated good across the board. The most recent inspection just last year saw them downgraded, downgraded to requires improvement. And the primary reason given for the downgrade was Cornerstone's policy of only recruiting Christians as carers. Ofsted claimed that this unlawfully discriminates against same-sex couples and non-Christians. But Cornerstone are working within the 2010 Equality Act, which allows for exceptions based on religious faith and values. The 2010 Act allows organisations relating to religion or belief to limit their services to a particular relief or belief if it's for the purpose of the organisation and complies with the doctrine of the organisation. And so it appears that Ofsted are going beyond their brief, their remit, in seeking to impose 
certain secular values on faith groups and religious organizations. In fact, Chief Inspector Amanda Spielman has called for muscular liberalism, which is interpreted as a call to enforce aggressive secularism. And Ofsted, Ofsted have been known recently to carry out hostile inspections of faith schools. So it's this aggressive secularism that will bring us into conflict at times and, and will bring hostility from surrounding culture. There are, as I've said, really sound and good laws which protect our freedom of expression as Christians, which we should stand up and fight for and which we should pray for and campaign for. But we must campaign to protect these laws, but we have to disagree with others in a Christ-like way. But Peter says in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Um, sadly, over the years, Christians have become more known for what they don't agree with than known for their grace and their gentleness and their respect for others. And this is sad because it's not the way of Christ, is it? Even where we do disagree, with our culture and have to stand up for truth, we must do so with gentleness and respect. That is not always easy to do. When somebody is angry and hostile to, towards us, we are called to respond with gentleness and respect. We need God's spirit to help us to do that. 1 Peter is a letter then that we desperately need to read today and apply to our times because there's two equal and opposite um, dangers that we have in living in an increasingly secular and hostile culture. The first danger is that we seek a comfortable life where we keep our heads down and in order not to stand out or encounter any sort of hostility we just kind of cave in as Christians to the prevailing secular values. That's one way of handling it. It's not a good way, it is one way we could handle it. The other way is to kind of hunker down, pull up the drawbridge and kind of critique or criticise our culture saying, oh, it's so much worse than it used to be. And uh, we kind of hark back to the glory days of the church when everyone we believe used to go to church and hold Christian values. Well, that may be, there may be some nostalgia that, that's helpful there, but equally, that's not a helpful view. Jesus called us to be salt and light. Salt and light bring transformation. Salt and light preserve Christian values. Light only transforms the darkness if it's in contact with the darkness. Salt only brings flavour and preserves if it's in contact with the food. So we have to be, as Christians, not hunkered down and closeted away, or, and not compromised, not like chameleon Christians blending in. We have to be salt and light. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be Christ-like in a world, even in a hostile world. We have to be light in the darkness. Um, we are, as Mark said so eloquently in that story of Abraham, we are resident aliens. Um, I don't know if you, you probably don't remember, I don't remember because I'm too young. Uh -huh, don't get to say that very often. There was, a, there was an old country and western song by Jim Reeves. Called, um, and it was all about, he, he had the line, 
This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Some of you might know that song. That is true for us as Christians. We are resident aliens. We are on our way, as Abraham was on his way, to a country. Um, and we are foreigners in this, on this earth. We are, this is not our permanent home, thank goodness. Um, we are on our way as resident aliens, as strangers, to a heavenly home that is our permanent residence with Christ. And Peter writes at the end of his letter, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. In other words, remember that this world is not your home. You're just a passing through. You are on your way to an eternal destiny with God in heaven. So whatever hostilities we face, whatever sufferings we face, we need to remember that we're on our way to heaven. And that hope, should fuel us and encourage us and strengthen us in this hostile world. I want us to look at two things that we can learn from Peter about standing firm in a hostile world. First, we learn that we are strangers in a strange land. Uh, as, as I said, Mark reminded us that Abraham was told to leave his homeland and go to a foreign country. And he never saw the permanence of the blessing of the promised land. Um, and like Abraham, we are strangers. We live on earth temporarily as resident aliens. Our permanent home will be heaven. We're called to live on, as strangers on earth. What does that mean? Well, it means that we live by God's kingdom values and not by the values of our secular world. We are called to be those who, who live like aliens, who are living by heavenly eternal values and not by the values of our secular culture. Sometimes the values of our secular culture will line up with Christian values, but often they will not. And that's where we need to remember that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And our identification with Christ is what makes us strangers in the world. Jesus himself told Peter, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we are foreigners in a hostile land. We are strangers away from our homeland. We are scattered throughout the world. And as we faithfully follow Christ, we will stand out as different, as aliens. But the good news that will help us stand firm is remembering that we are God's chosen people, God's elect. Um, like Israel, who were God's chosen people under the old covenant, we in the church, Christians in the church, are the new covenant people of God. We are elect or chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. When Peter uses the, the word foreknowledge, it doesn't just mean that God saw in advance who would respond to the gospel. Foreknowledge indicates that God freely chose to set his love on certain individuals. Out of his covenant love, he chose you to be part of his church. Now, talking about God's sovereign choice can be difficult. After all, how can the idea of God choosing people for salvation be comforting? But the point was that Peter was reminding the Christians experiencing suffering that God had not forgotten them. In fact, God had chosen them before the creation of the world in his love to be his holy nation, his chosen people. And the same is true for us. 
we can stand firm in the grace of God because God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be a holy people. He's chosen people who bring light in the darkness. The very reason that God has placed you in the workplace and the street and the family where you live is that God has chosen you to be good news, to be a glory carrier to the people on your front line. He's chosen you for the job, the role of mission that you have uniquely. And notice in the first two verses that God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in us as Christians being saved. Verses one to two, the God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadonia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. You see that the whole resources of God in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, have chosen you and saved you and brought you into the family of God. God's whole resources are involved in your salvation and mine. First of all, the Spirit sanctifies those whom the Father has chosen for obedience. The word sanctify means he's set apart or dedicated. God has dedicated you through the gift of his Holy Spirit, set you apart to live for him, to be a light in this dark world as you obey the teachings of Christ. And the Holy Spirit has also set us apart for sprinkling with Jesus' blood. In other words, just as Moses um, sacrificed animals and sprinkled the blood on the people to seal them in covenant relationship with God. So once and for all, Christ's blood has sealed us with the covenant love of God to be God's people. We are chosen and Christ has loved us and set his love upon us through his blood shed once and for all on the cross. So we've been set apart and sealed by the Holy Spirit and sprinkled with the blood of Christ. He sacrificed his life, his life once and for all to forgive us and cleanse us and to bring us into a relationship where we know God personally and intimately. The Holy Spirit lives in us and he gives us the power and the desire to live set apart lives in obedience to the gospel. So every member of, of Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, are involved in saving you and me. The Father elects, chooses a people for salvation. The Son accomplishes our salvation through his cross and resurrection. And the Spirit gives us the power to live out our salvation by obeying the teachings of Christ. And we will live as Christians in a world increasingly hostile to our faith. A world that is becoming increasingly risky and uncertain. It's a place of anxiety, of insecurity. But God today, this morning, would say to you and me as Christians, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all on your side. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are pouring out the resources of heaven into your life. God wants you and I to have confidence, to know how dearly loved we are as the adopted children of the Father. The Holy Spirit wants us to be comforted and assured of our salvation that we've been forgiven and set apart for obedience to Jesus. God wants us to finish the race and to claim the crown and to, and to receive those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So he's poured out 
all of his resources from heaven to ensure that the grace and peace he offers us are ours in abundance. So yes, as we travel through this world of hostility, as we, as we answer people who we disagree with with gentleness and respect, the very resources of heaven are with you and me. The very power of God, Father, Son and Spirit are with us, in us and working through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And we pray, Father, that as we journey through 1 Peter, the grace and peace would be ours in abundance. As we read this letter together in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, pour out more grace and peace into our lives. Help us, Father, to stand firm in an increasingly hostile secular culture. Help us to stand up for biblical values, biblical teaching. Help us to be light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Martin. We're going to close now by singing um, a couple of songs, which Steve will lead us in. The, the final one um, may not be as familiar to you. If it's not, then please just listen and read the words and be blessed by it. And uh, as always, um, microphones will be left on mute until I've uh, closed in prayer. So, and then we'll have the opportunity to chat to one another. Thank you. So over to you, Steve. Strong. 
Lord God, several of our songs this morning have sung of storms. And we thank you that through whatever storms we're, we're facing, you are Lord of all. That you will shelter us under your wings. And Lord, we thank you that you've made yourself known, yourself known to us. But we also know that, Jesus, you love this, the whole world and came to die for the whole world. And so would you enable us, Lord, to, to play our part in making you and your love known to others, those who don't yet know you. And, Lord, I just echo that, that beautiful song. May we go now in peace. May we know your grace and your peace in abundance, each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, yeah, I hope that whatever you're going to be doing this week, that um, you'll know God's presence with you. And now do feel free to unmute your mics and uh, 